and slayers this is mixtress ray and you're listening to what's this bitch talking about to which the answer to that question is every episode of buffy the vampire slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date and today we're talking about the eye in team and we're also going to have a little postscript of the angel episode that aired the same night 20 years ago today which was called she um i have to confess it is like I actually don't know what time it is because there's no clock inside my tiny little <laughs> closet that I record the podcast in. But um, I know that it's probably almost midnight, so I apologize for not having the show up for you guys so that, you know, the ideal, like I say, is that I would watch recap and upload the podcast all on the same day, early enough in the day so that you can listen to it on that same day. But that's not usually how it works. Um, I usually don't get it up until the wee hours of the morning, and this week it's going to be later than usual because it's going to be like, I don't know. By the time this thing gets uploaded, it'll be like 1 a.m. probably. Maybe later. Okay, sorry. So, <laughs> my mom's like, nobody cares. <laughs> Um, okay. I'm very tired. Uh, it's been a long week, you guys. It's been a long couple of weeks. I guess I haven't technically been here to talk to you guys for a couple of weeks. Um, our, our family of pets, I have two big dogs and one cat. Um, two out of three of them have been sick in the last couple of weeks. And um, my dog was only sick for a few days. So luckily that was an easy to resolve thing. But my cat has recently been diagnosed with feline lower urinary tract disease, which could mean chronic pee problems, <laughs> basically. Um, the diagnosis is essentially you stress your cat out <laughs> which stresses me the fuck out because i don't know have any of y'all dealt with this particular situation if so i would love to hear how you handled it um not going to get too far into like you know personal ramblings because i do that on my radio show it's i like to keep those things compartmentalized so i do all the like personal ramblings on there for the most part even though i have definitely made you guys listen to me talk about personal things before. So thank you for indulging me with that. But anyway, feline lower urinary tract disease. I, it seems like from what research I have done that it is kind of a catch-all, meaning we can't just, we can't figure out what's causing this. It's not a normal um, urinary tract infection situation. Um, hasn't been being helped very much by antibiotics. I have spent almost definitely with like the special foods. I bought her a new litter box and new litter and 
um, all the vet visits, so far she has cost me $300 in the last couple of weeks. And I am an extremely broke person. Like, I am not a can give my pets extra medical care kind of rich person. <laughs> so, um, not sure how this whole situation is going to shake out. I'm a little nervous about it. Um, especially since it's going to be possibly a chronic issue that like, I mean, surely she's not going to be as bad as she is right now all the time. But anyway, I'm just putting out the call since I have more listeners on my podcast than I do to my radio show. Um, just in case y'all have gone through this, I would love to hear how you coped with it. Um, what, how it presented for you. Let me know. Mixtress radio at gmail m-i-x-t-r-e-s-s radio spelled the normal way at gmail also um just a fun note ice fun i guess fun (laughs) being i am doing an experiment right now um so today so today was well technically i think sunday is the full moon but i'm starting i started today saturday the 8th i'm doing two weeks of extremely limited internet um i'm not doing a full internet detox i thought i was going to do that at first but um basically the way that i'm doing it is i'm pretending that it's the year 2004 so i'm only using my phone for things that my phone would have been capable of doing back in 2004 um basically i picked that particular um just because it's easier for me to like organize what i'm going to let myself do and not do to think of it as a particular year and also because um two of the things that I wanted to be able to continue to be allowed to do one download and listen to podcasts and two text. So texting was, you know, definitely a thing in 2004 and podcasts were definitely a thing in 2004. So that's kind of why I picked those two things, um, or that year. Uh, but it's, it's going to be interesting. Like it hasn't really been a temptation yet today because I, um, I just kind of had a, you know, day at home. It was a weekend day. And then I went to work for a four hour shift and then I went to a movie afterwards. So I was able to, you know, the first day was easy. I'm sure there will be a lot of temptations down the line because I'm not like, basically I'm only allowing myself to use, um, I think 10 different apps on my phone. Like I'm allowed to use calendar, calculator, text, phone functions, of course. Like I can still call people with my phone. Um, And what else? I'm allowing myself to use an app called Soma FM. It's an internet radio. So that is something that was not something that I had on my phone back in the day, but Soma FM as an internet radio conglomerate has existed since the year 2000. So that's just kind of like a special little thing I'm allowing myself to have because I'm not allowing myself to use like Spotify or other streaming music services. I can use the music that is already downloaded on my phone so I can use my phone as essentially an iPod. Um, Yeah, 
Anyway, there's a couple other apps, too, that, like, just basically anything that would have existed on a phone back in 2004, with the exception of the fact that, like, it, a phone in 2004 wouldn't have had the storage capabilities to hold, like, I think I have close to 100 gigabytes of music on my phone. Um, but, um, I'm still, anyway, I'm just excited because I'm embarking upon a new project, and I'm gonna see... Because I'd really like to become less of a person that stares at my phone at all times. I am also, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it yet, but I think I'm going to allow myself like a certain time, chunk of time every day that I'm allowed to like essentially use my computer like the olden days, <laughs> wherein you would sit down and like log on to the internet for a short period of time at the end of the day. I think I'm going to allow myself to do that. Um, I might give myself, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes, maybe an hour at the most. Um, and considering how much we use the internet these days, um, I think that's going to be a difficult thing and I think that is actually going to be useful. So that way, like I'll still be checking my email every day. I'll just be checking it at the end of the day from my computer. Um, so I don't know, it's going to be a fun, a fun little experiment and I'm hoping that I will like read more books and rediscover engaging with the types of activities that I used to do before I had a smartphone. Basically I just want to, I want to disengage from smartphone life and see how I feel about it because I might decide to get a dumb phone. I don't know, it's possible. I could do that. Um, okay, enough with the personal crap. <laughs> you guys didn't come here for that. You came here to listen to me talk about Buffy. So the episode we're talking about tonight is called The Eye in Team, um, Nikki Stafford's episode guide called Bite Me. Her summary is as follows. As Buffy becomes more ensconced in the initiative, the gang fears she might be in over her head. Meanwhile, Professor Walsh worries that Buffy might be a bad influence on Riley and decides to put an end to their relationship. And then the first sentence of her summary of her like analysis of the episode I think is really interesting. This episode features a battle between those always seeking answers and those who never ask questions. So that's really like the deepest point that this episode manages to make is that, you know, the idea that like Buffy asks questions. She wants to know the motivations of the, um, creatures that she's fighting. She's not just going to mindlessly fight what someone points you at with a weapon. She's not going to do that. That's not her thing. So, um, overall, I don't know. This episode is, it's not like one that I would normally skip, but it's not that great. I feel like I've been saying that exact thing about many episodes in season four. Um, I'm starting to understand why a lot of people don't like season four because the majority of the episodes feel really disjointed and kind of forced. And I mean, it makes sense because a lot of the writers, um, 
because they just started doing Angel. A lot of the writers were, were going back and forth between the two shows, and they didn't really know how they were going to divide the resources effectively between the two shows yet. So they're stumbling, I feel. And it almost feels like, since this is the first time I have ever watched these shows in tandem with each other, um, I'm watching the Angel show, I'm literally watching the, the episodes back to back the way that they aired 20 years ago, and I've never done that before. And it seems most of the time there's a direct correlation. <laughs> there's like, you know, if the Angel episode that week is relatively decent, then the Buffy episode is shit and vice versa. <laughs> And sometimes, like, there are writers, like this particular week, let me check the Angel episode guide, I also have that right in front of me. Mm -mm -mm. Here we go. Written by David Greenwald and Marty Noxon. Um, so yeah, like one of the best writers of Buffy, Marty Noxon, who at this point was possibly already the showrunner of Buffy wrote the episode for Angel this week, whereas we get, we, <laughs> like they're teams, the Buffy team and the Angel team. I'm definitely on team Buffy. Um, this episode's written by David Fury. <sighs> I don't know. It's not a great episode, but let's go ahead and get into my notes. So the episode opens with, um, Willow, Xander, and Anya playing poker together, and they're just sort of talking about, um, how Buffy hasn't been around lately and Xander's got a new thing where he's going to try to sell chocolate bars. Um, uh, Xander's selling energy bars. Xander's getting spanked. <laughs> Xander's not on board with the initiative. So he's the first one to suggest, of course, because this episode is written and directed by two white dudes. Xander's the first person to suggest to Willow, like... Uh, what's the deal? What's the deal with Riley? What's the deal with the initiative? Like, I, I don't entirely trust them. Like, we don't actually know that much about them. Just because she's dating Riley doesn't mean that we know shit about the initiative, which is smart to ask that question. But why is Xander the first one to start asking questions? Whatever. Um, Anya chooses to feel threatened. Um, that was my next note because she, she doesn't know how, she doesn't trust the initiative because she doesn't know how they feel about ex-demons. Um, my next note was Walsh is hot for Buffy. Buffy is hot for Walsh. So Walsh is like putting on this big display about how impressed she is with Buffy. Um, so that's her, her first step in the Buffy is a slayer process is, um, curiosity, which we saw like in the last episode, now she's seeing Buffy's capabilities and they far outweigh what she thought. And, um, she's impressed, but that quickly changes to being suspicious as soon as Buffy starts asking questions, which hasn't happened yet, but, um, Willow. Everyone's getting spanked but me. Um, Willow and Buffy, like, have, are talking at, like, breakfast at school, and, um, 
you know, just sort of like the, you haven't been around lately, you know, you can tell that they're disconnected and Buffy's being pretty, pretty self-centered. Like she's not really, she's constantly distracted, thinking about Riley, talking about Riley, talking about the initiative. She's really excited about the initiative and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, it makes sense. This is, this is, this is kind of a normal thing. I mean, first of all, it's normal for Buffy to be self-centered, but it's also normal that like when you're going through something and you're really excited about it and like lots of new stuff, lots of new adventures, and you just want to talk about it, you could possibly be distracted by, you could possibly be not really paying as much attention to your friends as you normally do. But you know, the friendship is usually mostly about Buffy anyway. So this unfortunately is not an uncommon conversation between, um, Buffy and Willow, but it's, it's kind of sad, you know, and Willow, this is where we get, I think, is this the first moment? Hold on. Giles goes to see Spike. Little Xander cuts a new tooth. Okay, I, I'm like, no, I don't think I'm, I just watched the episode five minutes ago and I don't know what's happening. Okay. Um, I don't think I skipped ahead. Anyway, Giles goes to see Spike at his new crypt. He's kind of setting up his new place. He hasn't really done anything with it yet. And, um, he's giving Spike the money that he owes him for helping him because, the only way that Spike would help him whenever he had been turned into a demon by Ethan is um, if he paid him. So he's giving him the $300 that he owes him. And he just kind of starts talking to Spike, like having a conversation with him. And Spike's like, what are you still doing here? You paid me. Get out. We're done. Um, and he says something about, don't come to me if you need my help. Or if little Xander cuts a new tooth we're done. And Giles just kind of leaves. Um, my next note is stupid sex metaphor. So this is Buffy. Uh, Riley is showing Buffy the initiative and she, and there's just all these dumb sex metaphors in it. Like he's, he's saying to her, you sure you're ready? And you know, she's like, yes, I want to. And then they show this, the elevator. So you find out that the whole time he was just asking her if she was ready to see the initiative. And then they take her down and it's terrible looking. As you guys know, if you've seen this episode, it doesn't look like anything. It looks like a small abandoned warehouse with some tinfoil in the middle and some people in lab coats walking around. It doesn't at all look impressive, but um, Sarah Michelle Gellar tries to make it look impressive. <laughs> She's a good actor. And you know, the whole like, oh, it's so big. I mean, you told me it was big. And he's like, I didn't, I didn't want to brag. And it's just like fucking shit. Marty Noxon leaves for one week to go work on Angel. And she's not there to stop this bullshit. Not necessarily that she would stop that bullshit, but because she is a woman and she's the showrunner at this point, um, I think she should stop that. <laughs> um, okay. Buffy protects Spike. Okay. This I just thought was interesting. Um, so she's getting a tour of the initiative, blah, blah, blah. And, um, 
Walsh says something to the effect of, she starts talking about behavior modifications and that they've made significant progress with behavior modifications in HSTs. Um, and Buffy says, so I've seen. And then she's like, what? She's like, oh, on the Discovery Channel. And she protects Spike. And I find that interesting because at this point she doesn't, she seems to fully trust the initiative because she trusts Riley. At this point, she's not really asking questions. She's just excited about this whole thing. So I think it's interesting that it's not even a question to her that she would be protecting Spike. Not even a question. She's protecting Spike. I find that interesting. Um, I wonder what the motivation behind that was. Like, are we supposed to think that she already has some sort of feelings for Spike? I don't know. Two years before they actually, you know, get together. I don't know. Anyway. Um, Giles goes to see Spike. I keep going back to that same... It's, it's late, guys. It's late. It's probably after midnight at this point. I don't actually know. I'm in a time vortex. Um, <laughs> my next note is, my mom thinks Riley is cute because he smiles. It's true. You know, there's a lot of cute little moments where, like, Riley just, like, looks at Buffy and smiles. And, you know, he can, you can tell that he genuinely likes her. And Mark Lucas, sorry, he might be a good actor now. I think this might have been his first acting job. He used to be like a basketball star or something. Um, so he might be a good actor now, but back then he was not. But he was really good at looking like he adored Buffy, which makes me think he might adore Sarah Michelle Keller, which is just cute. I just think it's cute. I do think his smile is cute. I do think he seems like a genuine good human, and that's probably the entire reason why they hired him for this role, because he definitely seems like somebody that just is is kind of dumb, but is definitely a good person. <laughs> um, Doll's Eye Crystal. Um, that is one of the things that when I am allowed to use the internet <laughs> at the end of the day, I do want to look up Doll's Eye Crystal at some point because, um, let me just write that on my little notepad here. Because I'm going to have to start making lists of things that I want to look up since I'm not going to be allowed to just pick up my phone and look things up instantly anymore. So Doll's Eye Crystal, I want to know if that's a real thing because I've never heard of it. That is my featured object of the episode. Let's just go ahead and get that out there right now because it's just a really cool, like, it looks like sacred geometry kind of shit. Dolls, eye, crystal. So you just got to listen to me write down dolls, eye, crystal in two separate places. <laughs> Riveting podcast, isn't it? Best podcast ever. Okay. Um, so... Tara and Willow are talking and Tara's trying to give her this doll's eye crystal that she found in her grandma's attic or something. And Willow's like, oh, no, 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 don't give me something precious that used to belong to your grandma. Um, no, but it's cute because, you know, you can tell that they like don't know how to express to each other the fact that they are attracted to each other and they're both being shy and weird about it and 
So Tara just wants to give her something. Like, I've been there. I understand. I understand that. This is where it just... Willow, she bugs me in this episode. The way that she's treating Tara. I get that, like, she isn't really processing correctly the fact that she is attracted to Tara. She doesn't really know how to deal with that. I get that that's what we're dealing with here, but I don't like how she acts towards Tara. She just basically says to her, like, they're talking about Tara kind of invites her to hang out that night. And Willow's saying, well, I'm actually, um, I'm hanging out with some friends. And she just sort of says, it's kind of a specific crowd. You might feel out of place. And I don't know about you, but as a misfit... I've kind of always been somebody that's sort of on the fringes a little bit, like hearing the words, it's kind of a specific crowd, you might feel out of place, is triggering. That takes me right back. Um, I mean, I don't know if that specific thing has ever been said to me, but it probably, if it's that triggering, that probably is true. It's Oh, it just got me. And Willow just sort of, or Tara just sort of like gets weird and embarrassed. And she's, she's all shy and she doesn't really look Willow in the eye. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll see you later. Bye-bye. And she just like runs off. And it's heartbreaking. I hate it. Willow is the opposite of the MVP of this episode. Um, Then there's all this like weirdo shit throughout the episode. Walsh is talking to this scientist doctor guy or something and she calls Adam her little Frankenstein cyborg monster guy that we see in this episode for the first time um, in the scene she calls him our baby how's our baby doing and at one point Riley refers to Walsh as mother whenever they all get paged at the bronze later and he's like mother is calling or something and it's just there's just all this you know weird shit this weird mommy bullshit going on with Professor Walsh and again I'd like to point out even though I've said it before they didn't have to do this they could have had a woman of authority even if they decided that she was going to be evil you know, they could have had this entire storyline, but but just portrayed it in a different way. They could have given us a little bit more time and given Professor Walsh a little bit more characterization so that we actually liked her um, before. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's nothing when she dies at the end of this episode. We're just happy. It's like, oh good, we don't have to deal with her anymore. You know, she's such a throwaway character. When we finally, we have a woman that is completely running like an underground military organization. And she just, she doesn't get any respect. She's like the only woman there. I don't, there are no other initiative operatives that are women. None. I don't even know if there's any, I think later we maybe see a couple of people in the initiative that are like lab coat scientist types that are women, but I don't, maybe we have seen a couple in the background. I don't know, but it just sucks the way that they decided to handle this character. 
They could have had the exact same plot points of her being evil, her being Buffy's teacher, her being important to Riley, and still made her slightly likable so that we gave a shit when she died. It just, they mishandled this situation. Um, oh, and then another moment where Willow sucks. She, so later at the bronze, Buffy shows up super late and she shows up with like all the initiative dudes and she's talking to Willow and Willow's just sort of, you know, expressing being hurt. She's like, I just, you know, she wants to hang out with Buffy and she's like, I thought it would just be us, you know, and for her part, Buffy is like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. That is totally my bad. I'm, I'm so sorry. And, you know, Willow just sort of mentions, you know, if I, if I knew that I could bring someone, then I would have brought someone, you know, cause she's talking about Tara and Buffy's like, she picks up on it. Actually, she is paying attention to things that come out of Willow's mouth to a certain extent. She's like, well, who did you want to bring? And she gets like kind of excited and Willow's like, nobody, nobody, no one. So this pisses me off too, that she just like, she could have said, well, I mean, I, I guess it's just the guilt. She doesn't know how to deal with her new, I might be gay. I'm attracted to Tara feelings. I guess that's what it is. Um, but it just seems to me like she could have just said, well, I've been hanging out with this chick that I met in Wicca group, Tara. And you know, I could have invited her tonight, but I thought it might be weird since it was just going to be us. I thought it was just going to be us. She could have said that so easily. Um, and I guess that's just what I would have done. <laughs> um, so that's why it bothers me, but it does bother me. Um, this is where Willow sort of passes on what Xander said to her the night before. Um, she says to Buffy, you know, maybe ask more questions. Like we don't really know what the initiative is all about. Like, yeah, it seems like they are of the good, but what are they doing with all these creatures that they rehabilitate? You know, like what's going on? Then the beepers go off. And that's when Riley says, mother wants us and her and all the initiative dudes leave the bronze immediately. And that's when she, Professor Walsh is like briefing everybody on there's this HST. We want you to get, find them and get this and bring them back without hurting them or something. And it's, it's just such a cute visual because, you know, they're doing like a slow pan across the crowd of all these dudes wearing army green and then Buffy in a cute little halter top, like that's a foot shorter than all of them. Um, it's, it's just the cutest little visual, which is probably based on a private Benjamin thing, but I have not seen private Benjamin and they do make a reference to it in that scene as well. Um, I do really like this scene. I, this is something that like, you know, this episode is not skippable for this, for a couple of little moments in particular. And this one is one of those moments. Um, just this, this juxtaposition of putting Buffy in a situation where 
You know, you see that everyone around her is not asking questions. They're not used to asking questions. They're used to just doing whatever they're told. And Buffy's asking questions. She wants to know the motivations. She is just asking a ton of questions. And everyone around her is just sort of annoyed by her. Um, but it's pretty valid. You know, all of her questions are valid. And I think that... Again, like I said at the beginning, um, that's really the, the only point this episode has to make is that it's okay to ask questions, you know, always question authority, always question authority. Do not just blindly do what you're told ever, ever, ever. That's how Nazis happened. Okay, guys. <laughs> okay. Um, and then she says, don't worry. I've patrolled, I've patrolled in this halter many times because they're all like, you might want to suit up Buffy. Um, Tara goes over to see Willow. No, wait, I, I wrote that backwards. Willow goes over to see Tara, like after, you know, the whole thing with the bronze didn't really work out because Buffy showed up late and then she got paged away because she now has a pager. Um, so she goes to see Tara and Tara just immediately, like, even though I hate that, I hate that, like, I guess what it is, is like, I see the insecurity in Tara. Like she's not a confident woman right now. Like we later see the best version of Tara when she is, you know, self-empowered when she leaves Willow, you know, it's just, I'm, I think of her like that. Fortunately, this early version of Tara, the first few episodes that we see her when she's just like, she she can't look anyone in the eye. She's so shy. She's, she does not feel confident in herself yet. And, and that is just painful for me to watch, honestly. Like the fact that she's letting Willow already, like they're not even together yet. And it's like, she's letting her walk all over her. If someone said to me, it's kind of a specific crowd, you might feel out of place. I'd be like, bitch, I'm not talking to you for a week. And I just, I just hate that she's letting Willow walk all over. Willow's kind of a bitch sometimes, you know? Willow's kind of a bitch. Okay. Um, I also enjoyed, you know, like Buffy's patrolling with Riley and some other initiative dudes. And she's just like talking, talking, talking. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? You know, like she's always been like very talkative when she patrols with people. Except when she patrols with Faith. <laughs> um, she's always dominated the conversation, except with Faith. She's always very stoic around Faith and didn't want to open up to her. Oh, Faith. That is a perfect time to mention you guys. Do you know how close we are? Do you know how close we are? Two weeks from today will be part one of the two-parter where Faith wakes up from the coma and Buffy and Faith switch bodies, which is my favorite two-parter of the entire series. And it's a beautiful story arc. And I think it's really well done. And if I were to pick like top 10 episodes of Buffy, those two would have to be on there. Really, it would be more of the second part than the first part. The first part is kind of a normal episode. And then at the very end, that's when their bodies switch. And I just, ah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited that we get, we get like a tiny taste of faith 
And then she's also going to be, I don't know if it's one episode or two. She might be on a whole arc of like, she might be in a couple episodes of Angel as well. Like, cause she basically, she ends up on Angel at this point, I think. And, ah, oh, that's a beautiful episode too. So we're about to head into some great episodes and this month. So I'm excited about that. Anyway, let's get back to this episode, which is kind of dumb. But if this episode has to be kind of dumb so that we can get excellent episodes like the two-parter with Faith and Buffy switching bodies, then I'll take it. I'll take it, you know? Okay. But I did like the juxtaposition of like Buffy talking, 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 like she always does when she's patrolling. And Riley just has to kind of say to her, um, I don't have your, your slayer instincts. You know, I kind of need to concentrate right now. (laughs) And like she always does, she's like, oh, okay. And she stops talking for like two seconds and then she starts again. Uh, So that was just a nice little, like, that's so Buffy, you know, that's so Buffy. Forrest is being weird and jealous. Like, what is his deal? Is he in love with Riley? And I, it really sucks that like, we finally get like a recurring black character in Forrest and you just, you never, ever, ever get to like him because he's just mean about Buffy constantly. Like he's an asshole to Buffy, about Buffy to Riley. He's just like, like he doesn't even have, he might've had like one or two tiny likable moments, but overall, you know, just like Professor Walsh, like they could have, dealt with that character differently and let us like him. He could have been a good friend to Riley, but he's not. And that sucks. So forced with being all jealous, they see Spike while they're out looking for this other demon and they tag him with a tracer. Um, then there's the sex slash fighting montage where you see Buffy and Riley fighting these like these beings, um, that Professor Walsh told them to go get Polkar, Polkar, Polka Demon or something. I can't remember what it's called. And so it's, it's a fight scene, but you're like seeing them fight them, like cut together with like Buffy and Riley doing it. I think this is supposed to be their first time. I think. I'm pretty sure. Um, oh God, their chemistry together is terrible. Those shots were of just like, you know, him taking off her boot and him like, and it's just, it's bad. It's not good. (laughs) But one thing I do really like about that scene is the fact that we're hearing a beautiful song, Delirium's Window to Your Soul or Window of the Soul or something. It's on their first album, Karma, which is their best album. I love it. Um, I do really like the fact that instead of hearing awful fight noises, which the sound editing for the Buffy fight scenes is awful and I hate it they would be so much more fun to watch. I mean, the fight choreography itself really isn't that exciting to me, but if 
it had been scored with interesting music or just something calmer. Like, I don't know, just the music that they use during fight scenes usually is terrible. So the fact that we're seeing a fight scene with beautiful music in the background, that is a win for me, even if we have to see Sarah Michelle Gellar sucking our Mark Lucas's finger, <laughs> which please can that image not take up space in my brain, please. Do you ever think about that? Like, not Buffy sucking on Riley's finger, but do you ever think about the fact that, like, your brain is holding on to all of these stupid things that you wish weren't in there? <laughs> you know? Like, I can't remember what it was, but we were playing, like, a movie trivia game with some friends before the movie started because um, we have this really cool place in my hometown that's called book house and it's um they play movies and they have this tiny tiny little theater it only seats like 25 or something and it um and they have board games and they have food and a full bar and so we just like went like an hour and a half before the movie started so we could eat dinner and hang out and play board games anyway we were playing like a movie trivia game and i don't even know what it was but it was something really stupid like some terrible movie some terrible quote from a terrible movie and like all of us knew what it was and all of us like were sort of ashamed that we knew what it was and it's not even a guilty pleasure it's like I don't even remember what it was but it was something that like and it just occurred to me that like why is there room why do all four of us have room in our brains for this tiny little insignificant bit of dialogue from a movie that we don't even like why why is there space in there for that like if you think about your brain as all the pieces of information in your brain as having real estate and just hanging out in your brain at all times i know that's not probably how synapses work but it's just kind of sad when you think about it that way like why why did i make room for that why is that in there <laughs> um first of all I know a lot of people don't like licorice, but when Xander said that one of the flavors for his little energy bars that he's peddling is almond licorice, I was in. I was all in. I want to taste an almond licorice bar. I think that sounds amazing. And I know most people are like, ugh. Um, just so you know, minty mug sighting. Um, Giles was drinking from his minty mug when he set it down on the coffee table to try one of Xander's stupid bars that he's peddling. Oh, oh, I totally skipped over this. Totally, totally skipped over this. Um, so Riley and Buffy are doing it for the first time in that little montage and it pans out and you see that Professor Walsh is watching them. She has cameras in his room. I just want to give that the gravity that it deserves because that is fucked up. Real fucked up. Um, Spike breaks into Giles' house while um, Xander and Anya are there trying to sell him those bars. And he's it's in the middle of the day, so he's got one of his blankets and he's, you know on fire like he does and um 
he because the uh when they tagged him with the tracer when the initiative guys tagged him with the tracer they you know were in pursuit but he was able to get away from them i guess um throughout the night i guess he'd been like running all night because it was daytime at this point and so he goes to Giles for help and Giles is like what about you're done with me you know like all that shit what am i why am i gonna do this for you just out of the evilness of my heart which he's quoting back to spike what he said to him um when he asked him for help when he was a demon in the last episode and spike gives him back all the money that he gave him except what he had already spent so he just gives him like a wad of bills and it's just kind of it's just kind of cute you know he's of course like spike wouldn't have a wallet or anything like that he would just have a wad of crumpled up bills that probably smell like whiskey and cigarettes in his leather jacket and he just like hands him a wad of bills and um you see giles in the background just sort of like stuffing them into a box that he took out of his desk ah anthony stewart head and prop work you know he probably had to make sure like look i need to open a drawer and pull out a box so i can put this money in it you know i need to look like i'm putting it away somewhere I'm an organized guy. I'm going to have a place to put this and I'm going to want to put it away immediately. Okay, prop guys, give me this box. <laughs> um, so next morning, um, Buffy wakes up in red sheets again. Why is it always red sheets? All the boys she does it with have red sheets. I guess um, Angel didn't really have red sheets because when we looked back at the footage, it was like white sheets with a red velvet velour blanket. So Buffy wakes up and she's like looking around for a second, like panicked because, you know, this is the third person that she slept with. And so she, she expects him to just be gone because that's how the first two w worked out. And she turns around and he's staring at her, which I know we're supposed to think is sweet and endearing. But it's not sweet and endearing when you wake up and someone's fucking staring at you. It's not cute. Don't do it. Don't stare at people while they're sleeping, okay? Like, if you've never gotten that bit of information in your life, here it is. Don't stare at people while they're sleeping. <laughs> I mean, sure, if you're in a long-term relationship with somebody and you, like, you know, go to bed and they're already asleep and you're like, oh, they're so cute. You kind of cuddle up to them and just, like, look at them adoringly for a second. But do not stare at them. Do not draw them while they're sleeping, like Angel does. Do not be staring at them when they wake up. Okay? Don't. That's not okay. But anyway, so she turns around and he's there staring at her. And what's my next note? Um, Buffy says, your robot bird sounds hun hungry because he has like an alarm that goes off. And um, it's Riley his reminder to take his vitamins so he takes his vitamins and she's like wow you're just like a regimented little soldier boy and he's like i am how they train me which is problematic of course and then they have like a little conversation where buffy's kind of passing along the information that was started by xander and given to willow and then willow gave it to buffy and then buffy's like what you know what what did what are you guys are really doing 
Um, don't you wonder? Don't you want to ask questions? And he's just kind of like, I leave the questions to you. You know? Like, he seems to be totally, like, chill with her being super inquisitive. Like, he's not trying, you know, let's give Riley points where he deserves them. He's not trying to tell her that she shouldn't have questions. He's not telling her to shut up. I mean, with the exception of, you know, him gently telling her that he needs to concentrate during patrolling, which, you know, that sounds reasonable to me. Um, he, he worded it in a good way. He didn't just tell her to shut up. <laughs> that's, you know, that's important. Sometimes you have to convey information to people that they don't like to hear. Sometimes you have to set boundaries with people that they don't want to hear. And if you can do it in a nice way, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> but I, okay. So my next note is Riley hair play. Because I, for some reason, I just thought it was really sweet and endearing. You know, they're talking to each other in bed and just while they're having a conversation, Buffy's just like very casually like running her fingers through his hair and it just, it looks natural. It just looked sweet. I don't know why, but it was just like, I was entranced by it probably because I enjoyed to have my hair played with, you know, like, I mean, m most people probably do. Um, I also enjoy ASMR videos, watching other people play with other people's hair. It's very soothing. <laughs> so I think I was just having an ASMR moment watching Sarah Michelle Gellar, like casually running her fingers through Riley's hair. It just, it looked fun <laughs> for all parties involved. And then she asks, what's 314? And as soon as she asks it, the phone rings and Riley gets called away to um, do something. He gets called away by Professor Walsh. And um, so at this point, we know that she can see them. So now we suspect that she can hear them as well. Um, so it's just uh, 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 so creepy. She's just listening to that whole conversation. So Riley is now curious because when he gets to the initiative, he starts kind of looking around and he looks through the like restricted access door and he sees the number 314 in a room just right down the hall from that restricted access um, doorway. And um, yeah, so he's already sort of like thinking about asking questions and Professor Walsh sees that. And she gives him his assignment or whatever. And at one point she says, Riley, as he's walking off, Riley, make me proud. So there's another like, ugh, just this gross, like, I just don't understand. Like, I, I feel like they just rushed all of this. Like, they decided they wanted to make a parallel between, you know, like a mother-son relationship out of Professor Walsh and Riley. But it just, it doesn't track. It's not backed up by anything. It wasn't built up. Like, we don't have any of this creepy mom vibe shit until this episode. We haven't seen any of that shit before now. And it's all in this one episode, and then she dies at the end. It's it's almost like, I, I wonder if Lindsay Krause was like, she had another engagement suddenly, and since so she knew she was going to be killed off. She took it early and they had to rush her storyline or something. I don't know. I don't know. It just seems weird. 
that if they were going to make the mother-son parallel, they could have still done it, but they could have done it better. They could have given you more time to ease into that weirdness instead of just throwing it into one episode. It just feels weird. I don't like it. Anyway, then we get the conversation. Walsh has another conversation with that scientist guy that I think we were just introduced to in this episode. Like maybe he was in the background or something before, but I think this is the first time he's had speaking lines speaking lines, a speaking part. So she's having another conversation with him and she's like, she'd had one before with him, like kind of, I think we might need to keep an eye on her. Like she might be asking too many questions. She might be making, she might have too big of an influence on Riley. She might be unpredictable, you know? And in this conversation, she kind of, she's made the decision. Like she saw them have sex. She knows that Buffy is asking questions and encouraging him to ask questions. And that's enough for her. She's like, you can tell she feels bad about it though. So at least they gave her that. Like you can tell she's not just, you know, twirling her mustache. She, she feels bad about it. She doesn't really want to do it, but she's like, she doesn't want to hurt Riley. But She's like, he's going to take it hard, but it's better to do it now, you know, before he gets too attached. And, um, so at this point, I mean, they're a little vague with the language, but you're pretty sure you, you know what she's talking about, that she's going to try to kill her. Um, or maybe not. I don't know. I can't, I can't tell if this was your first time watching it after seeing that scene. Did you think for sure that Professor Walsh was going to kill Buffy? What did you think? I feel like it, it's probably you would. I don't know. Um, then we get the scene like Giles is taking out Spike's tracer or he's like trying to see what to do and they're all like Anya and Xander just like huddled around watching and um, it's funny. And then they call Willow to do like a deionization spell or something or an ionization spell. I don't know. So they have this one ridiculous shot where all of their hair is standing on end <laughs> and um was pointed out in the buffering the vampire slayer podcast that they felt bad for the hair stylists because they would have had to work so hard to make all four of their hair stand up i don't think they did it with they must have just done it with willow giles xander and anya I don't think they did it with Spike because Spike's hair is too like plastered down anyway, so it wouldn't have stuck up like that. Um, but yeah, I, that was funny. That was funny, but I do also feel bad for the hairstylist that had to like spend a ton of time making their hair look like that. And then the shot was like a second and a half long, you know, that sucks. Um, okay. What do we got? Willow and B were both out all night. Walsh sends, so Willow stayed with Tara all night. And yeah, I mean, we don't know what they were doing. We don't know. <laughs> doing spells together, I guess. Um, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I just had a little daydream moment. Like, it would be cool if like, I mean, obviously something like this would kind of be ridiculous, but if somebody did 
like a really faithful remake of Buffy. Like basically just the, all the storylines were the same, but they just improved, you know, like fight choreography, sound editing, <laughs> and um, other things like that. It would be interesting to see how they could change Buffy or Tara and Willow's relationship. Like at this point, I mean, if she stayed at Tara's all night, it could be safe to assume that they might even be kissing at this point. They might be making out at least, but we weren't allowed to see any of that back in 2000. You know, like, that's just, yeah, anyway. So Walsh pages Buffy just by herself and she gets her, she's got Riley occupied because he's looking for Hostel 17 slash Spike and she's already sent him out on that mission. So she's sending Buffy out to go look for something in the sewers that, you know, it might be just a raccoon and here's, here's a weapon and this might be a waste of your abilities, but she sends her by herself. And I just had a note changing into civvies. It's just how many times are the initiative guys just like walking through the forest in their army green and then they are suddenly realize that they need to be in a neighborhood so they have to change into different clothes. <laughs> it is just so stupid. It's just so stupid. Like and the clothes that they end up wearing are basically the same thing. They're just not army green. So they'll be like wearing army green sweaters and like camo pants, camo cargo pants or something. And then when they change into their quote unquote civvies, they're just wearing like normal colored sweaters and cargo pants that aren't army, army green, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh God, their fashion is terrible too. Like, so frat boy 2000, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, they're not even, it's like, they don't stand out at all. Like, at all. <sighs> anyway. Um, so then we get the badass moment. This is the other badass moment. So Buffy's got her little, Walsh has given her a camera and the camera with the heart rate monitor thing and um so she can see everything that Buffy sees and she realizes it's a trap pretty much immediately because when she finds the creatures she recognizes them as creatures that um were in the initiative the day before when she got the tour they were being like controlled they were being like worked on and they're attacking her and she tries to use the weapon and it like backfires and somehow triggers like a door to come down so she gets trapped in this small space in a tunnel or something and with these demon guys and she's fighting them and it's a whole thing so she realizes pretty much immediately that she has been sent there and Professor Walsh is trying to kill her. And she, of course, defeats them. 
And then um, you see Riley getting back from his mission because at this point, Giles has gotten the tracer out of Spike and they flushed it down the toilet. So the so Riley and his other initiative dudes in their civvies, just like how much time do they wait? They're not like carrying backpacks with them either. So like they don't have those clothes with them. Sorry, I get distracted by details like that. But like they trace it and they, you know, realize that it's been flushed at a certain point because of where it's moving and how fast it's moving and all that shit. So they don't track, um, they don't track Hostel 17. So he comes back to Professor Walsh after they failed at their mission. And she says to him, she breaks to him the news because she saw on the camera, she saw the heart rate stop and the camera falls to the ground so she assumes that Buffy's now dead because assuming that the camera was pointed away from the action so she couldn't see anything that happened after that so she's breaking it to Riley like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry like she had something she was special um I feel like it's my fault and she she made up a lie too that like Buffy like went out to she didn't just say, I sent her on a mission and she died accidentally or something. She says, you know, that Buffy insisted on going alone after these two demons by herself and she got killed. And Riley's just like in shock, just like staring at her like, what? And the monitors are behind Professor Walsh's head. So suddenly you see some movement while Professor Walsh is talking behind her head. And that's the badass moment. You know, that's the other badass moment. Why this episode cannot be completely thrown in the trash. Um, because Buffy picks up the camera and she's like, she's like, uh, what you just did was you threw me into a situation with a couple of your pet demons with a faulty weapon. And if you think that's going to take out a slayer, then you don't know what a slayer is. And it's just such a badass moment that Riley sees that whole thing. It's so perfectly timed. At least they're not, you know, they're not pulling any punches. They're not like dragging it out. Like the second we find out that Professor Walsh is evil, she's dead by the end of the episode, you know? Like they're not drawing it out. I think they could have done it better, like I said before. But still, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of... I don't know. It's okay. It's okay that they're not drawing it out. It's okay. I like that, like, Riley immediately sees. I like that immediate payoff of, like, in, you know, within 30 seconds of Professor Walsh trying to, like, tell him, oh my god, I'm so sorry. She's gone. She's dead. I'm so, so sorry. I feel responsible. And then Buffy comes up on the screen and Riley knows immediately that she was lying and he just walks away from her. Um, you really don't know what a slayer is. And then she, Buffy shows up. Um, the next scene is Buffy showing up at Giles's house and saying, so Giles is explaining to Spike at that moment because he had just gotten the tracer out and Spike was getting ready to leave because it was almost dark. And Giles is like, I'm, I'm trying to say that it is not safe for you as long as the initiative are here. It's not safe for you. And um, 
Buffy walks in the door and says it's not safe for any of us. So that scene is going to be picked up immediately in the next episode. Um, let's see, it's not safe for any of us. And then the coda at the end of the episode is just the scene where like Professor Walsh is going in and she's like talking to Adam because he's not supposed to be awake yet, but she's like, you know, talking about her diabolical plans or something. And she's, you can tell she feels bad. Um, no, at this point, no, the, the guilt is not there anymore. <laughs> at this point, she's just kind of like, you know, I'll, I'll do what needs to be done. Pr professor or Agent Finn will come around, you know, all this shit. And she's just talking, talking, talking. And then all of a sudden, Adam skewers her through the back with one of those little polka demon skewy things. Um, and she's dead immediately. And he says, mommy, <laughs> because of course. So let's do our ratings for this episode. <laughs> I actually talked about it longer than I thought I would. Outfit of the episode. Um, let's go with Buffy's halter outfit just because it stood out and it was so cute. And she had this funky necklace on that to me kind of looked like seaweed. It might've been little feathers or something. It kind of like had this like sort of mossy green spiky weirdness. It was kind of cute. It was interesting. And then the, the halter and she, she just looked cute. She just looked cute. I mean, it's slim pickings for fashion right now, but that is the outfit of the episode mvp i'm just gonna say buffy because the two badass moments were buffy centered um quote of the episode i mean there really weren't any good quotes i think it's just gonna be don't worry i've patrolled i've patrolled in this halter many times so that's gonna be that um, object of the episode, like I said, Doll's Eye Crystal, 5 by 5 ratings. So the first rating out of 5 is treatment of women in this episode. Did it pass the Bechdel test? Yes, because Buffy was bragging to Willow about how much Professor Walsh is impressed by her. So, yes. Um... But overall, I don't know. Anya just only interacts with Xander as per usual. I don't think it's particularly good or bad for portrayal of women. Again, Professor Walsh, just they could have dealt with her a lot better. There are definitely some like just stupid boy moments because of all these fucking initiative guys it very much feels like if you're dating somebody in a frat you know like it's just very triggering um so i'm gonna give it a three because it's really not necessarily outright bad but it's not good either so that happens a lot and then the overall enjoyability of the episode like it's fine it's fine it's fine it's not good though but it's fine. I don't know. I'm going to give it a two. And now, so that gives it, I'm just going to start talking about Angel without even three times two is six. So this episode gets a six. Okay. Let's talk about the Angel episode. It's entitled She. What is the summary? 
in the episode guide by Nikki Stafford called Once Bitten. Angel tries to help a society of women hoping to avoid painful and life-altering procedures at the hands of men when they come of age. So this is the one where Bai Ling plays um, renegade savior chick of a bunch of women. Okay, here are the notes that I wrote. I've been doing this thing lately where, like, I don't take notes while I'm watching the episode. I watch it on a Thursday night, and then Saturday, when it's time to do the podcast, I sit down and I write down what I remember. <laughs> and I have a terrible memory. So these are the notes that I wrote for this episode. I'm just going to read them outright. Angel is attracted to hot lava within, girl. By Ling. Bechtel? Doubt it. Boob window my entire notes so it really wasn't a bad episode because marty noxon was involved um i think the attraction between byling's character and angel kind of makes sense because she's like she's a species that like have trouble controlling their like passions and they kind of explained it in an interesting way like it's obviously like sexuality linked but it's not just that like she kind of explains it as like their their personality is attached to this their personality their passions for life and their passions for you know sexuality so it's interesting it's an interesting species and they have like these little ridges on their back that get like really really hot when they're like interested um and when you first come of age it's hard to control those urges and um so the men in the society were like they were essentially genitally mutilating these women um and but it seems believable to me that like she would be attracted to angel because he's a vampire and if she gets like super unbearably hot he's a vampire so he's real cold he's room temperature <laughs> and it might be attractive to a vampire who's room temperature to you know be into a hot lava chick the boob window was distracting though like it was just a little over the top like she already looked hot in her like skin tight vinyl clothing they didn't need the boob window um good to see byling though she is also she was in the crow um and many other things she is uh, a great actress um so this episode was enjoyable it oh god it, it really was enjoyable actually like i'm just remembering like there's at the beginning of the episode cordelia's having like a party at her apartment and um wesley is dancing and his dancing is fucking hilarious and then they show like a weird little sequence where angel is imagining if he were to dance what he would look like and it's just hilarious i enjoyed it immensely <laughs> 
he does like this little clapping thing at one point they show it through the credits like a weird little montage of like they must have just had a blast those two actors just like dancing weird for an entire day and getting all the footage and it's it's cute and i love it and i find it extremely amusing so this episode was really enjoyable for the most part i think when angel this is the best example of just like a regular one-off angel episode although we do see Bailing again um treatment of women it's not great i mean the overall plot of like Bailing's character being a protector and kind of a savior for you know she's getting her people out before they get mutilated because their entire personality is detached and they become more docile and controllable as soon as they get mutilated by the men in their society so that is an interesting message i like that but i don't know it could have been dealt with better it, there was just a lot of male gazy bullshit i mean boob window aside <laughs> even taking that out of the equation which is obviously male gazy um yeah so i it definitely doesn't i mean cordelia doesn't have any conversations with any of these women um yeah even though there were women at her party at the beginning of the episode they don't show her talking to any of them she just talks to the guys she just talks to wesley and angel and that's it um so yeah I would say as far as treatment of women uh, I'm gonna give it a two I'm gonna give it a two and then as far as overall enjoyability of the episode like I said it's it's not a bad one it's okay middle of the road so it's a three so it gets a six just like Buffy only Buffy got a three for treatment of women and a two for the overall enjoyability of the episode but that still ends up with the same score at the end so that's what you get for my discussion of that <laughs> talked about angel for like five minutes but hey let me know seriously i do want to know how you guys feel about it like do you want me to talk about angel more do you want me to be more thorough with my angel discussions because i will do it for you but i also am enjoying the whole let's see what i can remember with my goldfish brain two days later so I hope you guys are having a great night. I am going to stop this now so I can edit this podcast and start uploading it because I think it might be like 1.30 in the morning at this point. <laughs> and I want to go to bed.